Kerry, Kerry, who's with you? It's Tiger. Tiger. All right. Welcome to WSD Podcast, everyone, hosted by me, Big Ben, and my single slapping co-host, Kay Wynn, the ace hat, pesky ace. Today, we have a critically acclaimed writer on our show. That's Gary Morgenstein. Gary, thank you for joining us and his uh, co-host, Tiger the Pug. <laughs> Gary has a new sci-fi novel, baseball novel out. And Gary was involved in a viral movie sensation, Sharknado. We'll discuss both those things on the show today. But before we do, we want to talk a bit about our sponsor. Our primary sponsor here on WST Podcast is 88 Acres. Gary, if you haven't heard of 88 Acres, just uh, seek it out in any one of your grocery stores or jump online to 88acres.com. Uh, you can enter the product code WST15. It will save you 15% when you're ordering your healthy nut bars, your salad dressings, whatever you need to get you through the day in a healthy way. 88 Acres has you covered. Primary sponsor of WST Podcast. Okay, Wynn, why don't you introduce our guest? All right. Critically acclaimed author, Gary Morgenstein. So, Gary, before we get into the show, we're on the West Coast. I'm in L.A., Big Ben's in Seattle. You're out in Brooklyn, I believe. How did you hear about us? You reached out to us. Well, I saw um, your reputation on on uh, Twitter. People giving you shout-outs, so there you go. I thought, well, and I looked you up, and you sounded like you'd be a lot of fun. I'd love to do pods. All right. Well, we are a lot of fun, and you're going to see here in our first two questions, we're going true or false. The first question I have for you, Gary, a relative of either mine or Big Ben played on the Yankees during the 2010 baseball season. True or false? And you can't cheat and look true. it up on the Internet. <laughs> true. true. Wow, that is correct. So my older brother, Randy Wynn. He played for the Yankees. Oh, he didn't play the full year, um, but he started the year out with the Yankees uh, the tail end of his career. So that is definitely oh, true. Wow. That's, I don't care if he got one at bat. Doesn't major leaguer, right? Major leaguer. Yeah, so Big Ben and I met. Um, we were co-workers um, in New York City and Manhattan. I lived out there for six years. I believe Ben was out there for about six or seven but there was a time frame of Lynn Sanity, Jeter's 3,000 hit, Jeter's final yes. at bat in Yankee Stadium. We're going to get into all of that in a little bit, Gary. I was there, actually, at Jeter's last game. Ooh. Game, when he had the game winner, yes. It was pretty exciting. Yeah. Did you keep your ticket, Gary? No, but I got a T-shirt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> the T-shirt's still alive. That's it. Oh, I, okay. Icebreaker number two, and this is on the other side of the coin here. True or false? A relative of one of us had a cameo in the original Sharknado. False. You are correct. Yeah, but okay. we did spend some time with one of the lead actresses. Uh, sister, actually, most oftentimes watching Knicks games or Yankees <laughs> games at the aforementioned Ainsworth in the middle of Manhattan. So that's that's another triangulation to you, Gary, and your work on Sharknado. Who so, was she? Uh, Tara Reed and her sister, oh. Colleen Reed, April Wexler and Sharknado. So you are the PR genius behind Sharknado where Hurricane David 
which started in Mexico, invades LA, Finn's bar on Santa Monica Pier, causes flooding and sharks everywhere, right? Yes. And and um it's not well known, but Sharknado almost didn't make it to the air. Wow. Yes. Ooh. I know. Like what the what the so one of my areas, uh, I was director of PR at, at, at Sci-Fi Channel. One of my areas of publicity were the Saturday night movies. You know, remember that, you know, the Mothman and all the crazy stuff. You know, the B movies that we all love that are fun. So Sharknado is scheduled to air in, in early July. And there was a series of tornadoes that hit the Midwest. And they killed the hosts of, of the D Discovery um, Channel series. It might have been tornado, called Tornado Chasers. So the, my masters, and we all have the masters, right? They said, you know, we really should, maybe we shouldn't show the movie because it would, um, it, it would seem rude and insensitive to the people who just started. I said, well, wait, wait it's terrible what happened, but have you read the script? <laughs> no, of course I haven't read the script. I said, tornadoes hit Los Angeles, which has never happened before. They scoop up sharks from the ocean dump them on land where they eat people. I just, no connection. <laughs> well, and I said, I could get good publicity. They said, well, you know, you better watch it. They use a certain language I won't repeat on the pod, but pretty much my you know what was on the line. If it mm -hmm. rolled back on us. So I never, I was never very good at taking orders in the corporate world, whatever, because they're usually stupid. So I just went full blown ahead, got lots of publicity, um, not subsequent to the, the talk about the insanity, the shock sanity, of that night, um, and we had Ian Ziering would not do any publicity because he thought this would ruin his career, such as it existed at the time. He took the role, as he was, he, he has publicly said, to keep up his SAG membership so he would keep up his health insurance. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we, when we did, um, we did a press call two days before premiere to Louis Tara Reed. And there was Anthony C. Ferranti, the director. And people really liked it. I mean, EW Entertainment Weekly did something. The Daily News did a big spread, the New York Daily News. In fact, I asked the, the, the TV editor, Don, Don Kaplan, I said, do you want a screener? He said, no, the, the, the title is enough. Just give me the title and the photos. And the cheesy photos. Look, this is not you know, a $200 million movie. Maybe we made for like $47. This was The Asylum, an aptly named production company. Great guys. But... They did things, you know, on, on each. So Thursday night it premieres because that was our, our showcase. We had moved it from Saturday to Thursdays during um, just before the sun because we thought it would be a better time. More people would be around. It, I don't know when it really knows what happened. Did we lose him? I think we might have. Um, 2013. It, but it sparked something. And you had um, Mia Farrow tweeting that she and Philip Roth are watching it. You had the American Red Cross saying, if you're ever stuck in a Sharknado, this is what you do. I had <laughs> I had had a couple bourbons. I watched a movie, not Sharknado, because I'd seen it way too many times enough. Went to sleep, woke up the next morning, and I went to a friend's house to borrow her suitcase because I was going to Comic-Con. And I get to her door, just maybe 8 o'clock in the morning before work, and she says, you know, your Sharknado is on the Today Show. I said, wow. oh. she said, yeah, they're doing a second segment coming up. I said, what? <laughs> it was in, in my entire career, and I was did publicity at ABC when we got sued for $10 billion by Philip Morris. So I've had 
you know, media days. <laughs> mm-hmm. and never like this. Never. I had to, like, apportion people to um, go with executives on phone calls. I could barely go to the bathroom. I had people come and then, you know, bring food in for me. Everyone was, wanted to hear about crazy. Sharknado. Everything about Sharknado. It was madness. I mean, you know, all the evening news shows. By the end of the day, I was exhausted. I was getting a little grumpy. And Nightline calls. They said, oh, we want to do Sharknado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, no, we want to do it. I said, look, there was just a military coup in Egypt. And you want to cover Sharknado? Yeah. All right. Let do it. And it never for at least for like two years, it never stopped. And it was everyone on the one hand, everyone thought that we captured lightning. So everything for a while regarding sharks on sci-fi was a big deal. And not everything became Sharknado. It just had this tongue in cheek quality. It was so absurd that as long as you basked in it and went along for the ride and didn't take it too seriously, you enjoyed it. And it just, the name was funny. It, it went into the political lexicon. They were talking about what was a shock NATO in Congress today. It was like, but still no one knew what would happen with shock NATO too, because what if it was a flu? What if it was just a Thursday night in July and everyone was bored, right? <laughs> and everyone just tripped on the movie and would shock NATO to repeat itself. Okay, so as is the way it, you would think that the contracts would have been signed and the casting would have been signed and everything would have been ready to roll. Now, this is television. It doesn't work that way because suddenly people say, oh, wait, I deserve more money. I deserve this. What about this? What about this? So, Shock NATO 2 is scheduled for the following summer, 2004, July 2014. Except by the time they got there, you know what, together, we weren't able to film in New York City until February. Now, February in New York City could be kind of cold. It's freezing. Sharknado was supposed <laughs> yeah. to be set in July. So one of the scenes, in the script, there was a scene that called for um, sharks to run uh, amok at Yankee Stadium. The Yankees, it's, the Yankees are above that. They would not let us film at Yankee Stadium. Even CGI, they couldn't destroy Yankee Stadium. Okay. The Mets said, sure, you could destroy City Field. We're cool with that. <laughs> they want all the press they can get. That's right, exactly. <laughs> oh, I say that with great sympathy. I'm a Yankee fan, but great empathy to all the Mets fans out there. So we, we arrived for the shooting date in, in the middle of February, and it's like 15 degrees out, and it's snowing. And the poor extras, they, the call had been to show up in, like, T-shirts and sandals and shorts. And people are, like, blue, you know. <laughs> all around the heat. Of their, and they're, like, running ships and going under. And it was just, it was so crazy. I said, look, the way to spin this is that it's a shock NATO. So it changed the weather. Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah. So we had a lot of fun um, at City Field. Um, no one died. There were no actors killed during the making of Sharknado. And then it's just the momentum of it. I, I've had two. I had a cameo in Sharknado 2 and Sharknado 3. In Sharknado 2, I was looking up at the sky. Shark's about to eat me. And then I was running with the crowd in Sharknado 3. But what was also interesting is, the, you know, sci-fi is owned by um, Comcast, NBC Universal. So there was a bit of, and everyone always looked down their noses at the original movies. I would have meetings and I would give a press report and people were, you know, everyone doodling 
making phone calls. Everyone's ignoring me, right? Suddenly, oh, Sharknado. So all the people who had disdain for the genre, this wonderful genre, wanted to be in the movie. And what happened is you all the cameos by Sharknado 3, it started getting weighted down. But 2 had at least had its own purity. 2 was the best. It has a certain soul. Uh, it has a poignancy. And it's really good. It's, it didn't win an Emmy, but it had a, a quality that got lost as in, in subsequent um, episodes. And I had left um, Sci-Fi by, I think, episode four. They had, they had six movies. And the last <laughs> one, I think they went back in time. And it was like, oh, guys. The best, the best term I saw, make America bait again, was, was <laughs> one of the, which is hilarious in my mind. Yes. Well, uh, hey, I think we should, we've touched on Sharknado, and now let's get into baseball. Okay, Wynn, what do we got? Yes. So, Gary, you're a critically acclaimed author. You have written a couple books in the Dark Depth series where you mix science fiction with baseball. Can you talk a little bit about um, your series of books and maybe go into your new book a little bit? Yes. Well, it started with A Mound Over Hell. And now um, Basketball for Freedom was just published back in um, in March. And The Dark Deaths, it's a trilogy. I'm working on the final book now. It begins in 2098 after America and the West has lost World War III to the Islamic Empire. And we're surrounded and uh, democracy's gone. Capitalism, all sorts of isms are gone. And America, we failed freedom. Essentially, that's what happened. The America that we know is, is completely gone. And... Um, we are run by an entity called the family, which and the leader is grandma, 92 years old. And the, the, the fundamental principles of it is love. It's it's family, it's love, it's friendship, is it's capitalism with morality, which might be an oxymoron. But there's a hmm. um, sort of benevolent tyranny to it. For example, well, we could not be doing this because all social media is gone. It was banned under right. the anti-narcissism law. Because if you believe in a society where family and love and friendship are the most important factors, then you have then the thousand people on Facebook are really not your friends. Mm -hmm. You can only have real relationships and you can't have influences because the society is also about individual responsibility. So as smart as you guys are and as much as everyone's going to be turning to the pod to hear what you have to say in your recommendations in this world, we're supposed to think for ourselves. So patriotism is gone, it's all banned, all acts of um, uh, patriotism, the anthem is gone because that's the old America, which has been a, which leads us into baseball. So baseball, back in 2065, at the, at the, the height of World War III, baseball and the miners, or a radical group, wanted America to prosecute the war more, more vigorously. But America did not have the armed forces like it did. America did not have the will to fight like it did. Islam did. They believed. And... And we were losing, and they, there was a terrorist attack at Yankee Stadium. And baseball had already been falling into disfavor. But the, they tried to take out the government at Yankee Stadium, the seventh game of the World Series between the Yankees and the Cubs. Actually, it was called Amazon Stadium by then. And um, they, they failed. So baseball was considered um, uh, synonymous with treason, and all the ballparks were leveled to the ground. The Hall of Fame gone. Owning, I mean, that cap you got would be considered an act of treason. Banned. Baseball books, 
expand all except Amazon Stadium, which was left in its dissipated state following the terrorist attacks. So like the scoreboard was on its hinges. There's, you know, skulls in the, in the, um, in, 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 on the field, you know, in, in the aisles. It's in like as the 2098 season begins, it's final season ever. Now Amazon Stadium's going to be gone. And Puppy Nidic, who's the main character, the baseball historian, is looking for a new job. And then suddenly he wakes up one morning and there's this smelly, grumpy, old white guy. And, and, and almost everyone in the, in the old character, characters are diverse because that's just going to be the face of America in the 22nd century. I, I kind of believe in that. Um, so there's this old white guy complaining about being drunk. He insists he's Mickey Mantle. Puppy says, oh, my. this is really just what I need. You know, just, just welcome to my world. And then a few days later comes this courtly, you know, acerbic Southern gentleman, Ty Cobb, who was horrified asking where all the white people have gone. Okay. And together they, along with a, a great player from the future, but the past, um, from the 2050s and 60s, Mushi Lopez, a woman, who was the all-time leading switch hitter and a great pitcher. And they resurrect baseball, but baseball is a pawn in between those who want peace, who want to reach out to the Islamic Empire, who say enough, because the people of Islam want their own enlightenment. They don't want to live under tyranny either. They want freedom, and they don't want the shadow of another war. And that also contrasts with those who say, well, let's finish the job on both sides. So it's questions of, of hatred. And, you know, things that resonate today in a fastball for freedom uh, pick, picks up on that series, on that on those themes. Yeah, I like the, how you mixed the future with the past, like the Amazon Stadium, because everyone uses Amazon today. And then yes. I um, I started out the first book and I was laughing at Mickey Mantle, like he was drinking, <laughs> he was flirting with women. And everyone yes. knows or thinks Ty Cobb was a little racist. So like, you know, a lot of the stuff you're like, well, I can see Ty Cobb saying that <laughs> yes. in the book. But if yes, we go back you. to the main character, Puppy Needed, how would you describe his character arc to someone who hasn't read your book quite yet? Well, Puppy was um, a, a, an outstanding uh, pitcher in college. And for as much, and he had a chance to, as much as what was left of the major leagues, there's only two teams left, he would have had a chance to play for um, for the two teams left in, in the major leagues, but he hurt his shoulder. And so his career was over, and now he's a baseball historian, his love for baseball. So it's that what runs through the book, and Puppy, Puppy and all the main characters are regular people. They're ordinary people caught up in extraordinary times. And when you write dystopian fiction, you want the average person not to want to be a hero because I almost no one wants to be a hero in the book but it's like okay what choice do I have and they find themselves taking paths that they hadn't anticipated I think that's that's really important because when you watch a book a, a movie a TV a graphic novel whatever it's the character you're going to remember and you want to return to so it's the you think about you know what we've just gone through and unfortunately, is still going through the pandemic um, and wars and people just want to survive and people yeah. want to laugh and people want to have fun again, no matter what the circumstances. So I try this was I saw the book, obviously, before the pandemic, but that's what you want to lead into, the, the, the indomitable human spirit to survive. You, know, you, you, you think instances where 
cities have been bombed, bombed. And you think, well, that's, that's it. But life goes on and they rebuild and the birth rate goes up. And, you know, you have that sort of quality that I try to lean into the book with baseball as a, the, the see-through, the sentimentality of baseball. And I'm, I don't want to, uh, you know, impugn any other sports fans because I love basketball as well. But there's nothing like baseball. For the just, you talk about the connection to the past. We, you know, numbers mean more to us than other sports. I'm sure someone out there is going to be able to tell me exactly how many, the all-time leader in passing yardage. Who cares? Right? (laughs) But say number, say 56, you know it's DiMaggio. Right? You say 5'11", you know, that's Thai Young. I mean, we could go on and on. You knew what. Uh, uh, Garrick's consecutive streak and now Ripken. I'm saying numbers mean something to us. It's the connection to the past and it's a connection to America and it's American history. Sometimes not not cool at all, but it's still our country and what we have been through and the subtotal of what we are now. So baseball plays that, trying to refine, rediscover America and it helps to have faith. And even though religion yeah. is outlawed in this America, and certainly the religion and the Islamic empires focus only on it. I'm not talking faith in God, necessarily. I'm talking faith in each other and ourselves. And I think that's really important. Well, well Gary, let's try to draw some lines then, um, get back to that fun fun part of uh, the book here. And, uh, let, let's draw some lines between modern baseball and maybe your book and maybe a future book and what that what it might cover entailed uh does the book have anything to do and i'm speaking about the mound over hell uh with forecasting the media scrutiny garrett Holt cole would have when uh the use of spider tack to improve his spin rate at all? <laughs> okay so what and you said something about amazon stadium people recognizing that so that's the line you you walk when you create when you do world building in science fiction, okay? you Unless you're writing hard science fiction with like everyone's an alien, it's like, what? <laughs> you know, and that's wonderful, of course, but regularly you need, to, you need to have enough from today that people could recognize without using today for tomorrow per se. You wanna see how we got there, okay? So if I have um, all acts of patriotism are gone, you know, the national anthem's gone, you could kind of see how that might have happened, right? That's not inconceivable. You could see why maybe religion is banned because you see religion falling in disfavor today. But what I try not to do, in fact, there's no mention of Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Or blah, 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 blah. There's no mention of contemporary baseball players. I think because um, we could go down the list of the players who we thought would be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, and are it? I mean, I mentioned. Mike Trapp, because really, how is he not going to be in the Hall of Fame? But exactly. for the most part, I, it's up to me as a writer to create a whole different world. Yep. Linking back and trying to show, but taking the writer on a journey into this world. So people are going to look at what happened in the, in the world of my novels and look at it from that perspective. But, yep. for example, you're going to, abortion is, is illegal. So, oh, well, that must be some right-wing perception. Well, no, it's the fact that we lost 17 million people in the war. 
and four million children. So we have to re repopulate. It's nothing to do with religion because there is no religion. So you see, it's things like that mm -hmm. that I try to go beyond, but yet let people go back to what it is today. And I challenge the, you know, I know you're reading the book, so I challenge. I just dump you right into it, right? Mm -hmm. I don't give you a, a lot of explanations right away. Well, you know, then that's it. I gotta, you got to you know, keep I reading to figure it out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the point. I, you know, you'll, it, it's all explained at some point. I'm not going to make it that big a mystery, but you, uh, you, you have to give the reader credit. Hey, Gary, if uh, we got a question for you, if you were MLB commissioner for one day, yes, what uh, what would be the first rule you would make an improvement on and or change to prevent only or to potentially prevent the demise of the world as a whole? Uh, the world of baseball. Well, the world of baseball. Double headers. <laughs> and there would never be anyone on second base in the tenth inning. Are you kidding me? Are you telling me you don't get paid enough to get the second base in scoring position in an extra inning? Come on. Um, I would, I would say that if baseball's different, and it's not instant gratification, and if you and yeah, home run is exciting, but bam, you know, how long does it? Take to get out there, five seconds. I mean, where is the excitement of an inside the park home, or you know, a hit and run play? And baseball is just different, and we have to lean into that. And whether baseball, one of the reasons that baseball is rarely depicted in science fiction, is because most writers don't think it's going to make the country of the future. It very well might not, but we've got to speed up the game. Okay, you just, it's, it's insane. I think I would limit the number of, I mean, this sounds a little fascistic, but I would limit the number of relief pitches. I would go back to guys having to, you know, pitch into six or seven innings. Look how big you are. Come <laughs> on. You you think about the, the, the pitchers back in the, remember Ron Guidry? What was, remember Gator Guidry in the seven? I mean, you go, they were not all these hulking guys. They could pitch complete games, right? Yeah. And you think about all the great players um, who were like 5'10", five, 5'11". Five, Mickey Banta was 5'10", five, 5'11". Five, I mean, Hank Aaron, you know, going on. You don't need to be that big, and it's not about hitting home runs. And I would try to find some way to bring that back in. I would push the fences back. Hit triples. Run fast. Speed. It's exciting. <laughs> I mean, you know, look at Milwaukee Brewers. They have a great team. It's built a lot, largely on, on defense. Gary, you only had 20, 24 hours, though. This, this Rob Manfred yeah. hasn't gotten this done in like six well, years. Well, all right, I would get rid of I would put, <laughs> I would cut off, um, make games quicker. I, even okay. Visit, you don't need this many mound visits. No seven inning double headers. Those no guys on second base. To start. All right, Gary, yeah. we're going we're gonna to bring up. Uh, a video for you. I think you know this pretty well here. All right. Can you see my screen? Uh, yeah. No? Yeah. I, I see you guys. Funny thing is, Gary, we both work in tech, but yet we don't 
know how to run our own software, so bear with us. <laughs> I'm <laughs> glad to hear. Now can you see I'm my screen? No. Wow, really? I see you guys. Yes. Well, you've got my curiosity, that's for sure. All right, I'll try this again. All right, it's not looking like it's working here. What video do you want? I was trying to show the Jeter's last at bat. Oh, yeah. Okay, I think I can do it here. Let me get through the, the ad. All right, skip and... to uh, 17 seconds in. He gets a little okay. standing ovation. All right, let me yes. see. This is amazing. Uh, count tab. Well, there we go. Okay. And here it is. Are you sharing it? We might just have to talk through it. So, so right. I was there. You were there. His final bat is against the Orioles. He gets a standing game hit. ovation. Game-winning hit. Game-winning RBI yeah. single. Right. He just had right. a knack for doing something special at the right time. He like was, his 3,000 hit just was a home genius. run off David Price. It was unbelievable the way he's, he's he put act. together big plays. Yes, class act. A great player. Yeah. All right. Well, sorry. I, I, I don't know why we can't bring up the video here. Um, but we usually like to uh, wrap up with what we call the West Coast Swing. But since you're out in Brooklyn, we changed the name. <laughs> We're going East Coast Swing. Oh, Ben brought it up. Oh, I apologize. I'm, I need to stop sharing my screen. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, are we done there? Hold on. Kyle, you there? I'm here. Okay. I'm stop sharing your screen. Yep. Hold on. So we got East Coast Swing, Gary. I'll start it off with uh, what everyone always talks about in New York. It's got pizza. What's your favorite pizza place in New York City? You can cover any of the five boroughs if necessary, but what's your favorite? Well, I have to give a shout out to Uncle Frankie's here in Kensington, right near my house. Great, great pizza. I brought some friends who were born and raised in Brooklyn. They moved to New Jersey, and I said, you got to have this. And they were, mm, they're tough. They're tough critics. Now, I think, you, can we talk about toppings? Because I think there should be laws against Hawaiian pizza. It is against God. To put pineapples on pizza. I mean, what, what, or buffalo chicken? Why? Why would you do that? It's just, it's, it's horrible, horrible. They should, people should simply be in prison for that, for the sale. I agree. And dissemination of Hawaiian pizza. <laughs> okay, next one is where would you rank the Linsanity era in New York's Knicks basketball history? I think, you know, it, it was a, it was exciting. But it's it's more a comment on how little excitement the Knicks have had in recent years. And I'm a recovering Knicks fan. And, I mean, I go back to 
the good old days of, you know, Clyde and Willis and Dollar Bill and DeBush and on and on and Barnett. I mean, the great that the last years, the last championships, but I think um, it was good, but it was overrated. And I think Jeremy Lin had his moment, which has never been recaptured. I think they have some potential now, but I don't think they're going to be as good this season as last. I don't think they're going to um, surprise people. I don't know if Kemba Walker is going to be healthy. You know, you got Kemba Walker, you have Derek Rose. You've got you're going to need the you know the whirlpool a lot. Um, <laughs> and I don't know about Randall's going to you know come up and sneak up on people. Julius Randall. I mean, I also follow the, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if they could ever reach it. That's going to be very, a very interesting New York story. All right. Sticking with Knicks, your all-time favorite New York Knick player is? Walt Frazier. Walt Frazier. I like w- that. Walt and Willis Reed. I guess, I mean, just Walt was, Clyde is just class, brilliant, but no Knicks fan. I mean, I even get goosebumps now thinking of, Willis Reed coming out game seven, May 1970, against the, the Lakers in the finals, you know, on one knee, hitting his first jump shot. I mean, he only made two baskets, but that was like heaven. It was New York basketball fans are probably the best because they are the most knowledgeable. And uh, it was a, a, a beautiful, wonderful sports moment. You're telling us the Car- Carmelo Anthony era wasn't, wasn't the greatest? that was when kyle and i were there wasn't we were there all right full circle the baseball let's talk the yankees where uh the the last stadium left standing after the the attack uh the yankees this year will end up what's forecast the rest of their season for us carry in your mind i think they're going to make it to the um the um championship series American League Championships. I like, you know, just because I believe in karma, I like to think that we'll wear off against Houston and pay back so you know what. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Well, Gary, can you tell our listeners where they can um, find your books, find out what projects you're working on, and just kind of stay in touch with uh, everything? That is Gary Morgenstein. Yes, um, my books, uh, Amount Over Hell, and a Fastball for Freedom or on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books, you know, anywhere you are, um, you could find a copies, you know, print, hardcover, ebook. Uh, I have a, um, I'm at my, on Twitter, I'm Ed Ryder Gary. I'm on Facebook and my play, um, A Black and White Cookie, which was supposed to premiere last March until COVID canceled it. You know, man plans, God laughs. Um, is finally premiering at the Silver um, Spring Stage in Maryland, just at Wash- outside Washington, October 1st through 3rd. So I hope people can join us. Awesome. All right. Well, Gary, we had fun talking Sharknado, baseball, and catching up. Our last question. This person has to be either in your phone or recently emailed. But... Who is someone that you talk to and connect with that you would love to hear on our show talking about sports? Oh, maybe Ian Zeri. He's in my phone. Wow. 
All right. Well, I and Zirin come on the show. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's that, only one way that, to find out. Group text. It never hurts the ass. In the days of COVID, <laughs> yes. you can find worse things to do than come on a podcast yes. and, and talk about Heck sports. Yeah. So, Heck yeah. So, Gary, awesome. Thanks for your time with us. WST Podcast sponsored by 80 Acres. The books are out now. You can get them, like Gary said, wherever you can find a book. Print, digital, connect on Facebook and Gary, give us the name of the, the show or the play again. It's a black and white cookie at the um, Silver Spring stage in Maryland, just outside Washington, D.C., October 1st through 3rd. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up, Gary. Enjoy the rest of your night. It is late on the East Thank Coast. Thank you, guys. And uh, Tiger. Tiger the Pod. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.